0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this morning. I hope you had a good week, and I hope you're getting ready for another week and uh, uh, being prepared for it this morning. Uh, For a message this morning, I would like to do something I've only done once before, which is um, study an account from the Old Testament. Um, All the sermons I've preached so far, except for one, have been from the New Testament, I think. So uh, we're going to study an account from the Old Testament. I'm taking a break um, from the 1 John series because our Sunday school lesson is going through there and I want to uh, make room for that. And after the Sunday school lesson is, is done, I do plan on, on getting back to it at some point. Uh, this morning I want to study the story of Jeroboam, a man who uh, really had so much going for him at at one point and uh, but but he he got scared basically he he bolted away from from God's promises and into disaster and what I'm hoping we learn this morning is is really just a very simple lesson that uh, we should never compromise our walk with God and when we're in stressful times or feel like we're in trouble It does not not pay to make compromises or cut corners in our walk with God in order to stay out of trouble. Before we look at the story of Jeroboam, I actually want to first look at a psalm, uh, which I think is a very relevant prelude. It contains a message that Jeroboam really needed to take to heart. It is Psalm 127. It's a psalm that was written, probably written, by a man who actually knew Jeroboam and in fact, a little piece of trivia here, tried to have Jeroboam killed. That man is Solomon. Psalm 127, I'm going to read just a few of these, these verses here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. A house is being built up the road from where I live. And it's been going on for at least a month. And I don't even see walls yet. So even with today's technology, a house is a a big project and takes some time. And in this verse, we see labor on a house. The builders are, are sweating. They're struggling on this project. And the psalmist says, you know, all that work they're going to, that that could be a complete waste of time. They don't realize it. They may not realize it for a long time. But if God is not with them in that project, it's, it's going to turn out to be a complete waste. Maybe it will look promising for a while. Uh, maybe it looks like it's going to be a worthwhile project. But in the end, complete waste if God is not in it. And similarly... He goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So if there's danger out there in the darkness on the other side of the walls, you know, it would make sense to have a watchman. You would want that that protection, that security. But if God is not watching the city also, then that watchman Might as well find himself a a good blanket and a pillow and curl up somewhere in a corner and sleep all night because it makes no difference. No one wants to stay awake in vain, but we do sometimes. What else does he say? It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And now he's talking to us, and at first glimpse it sounds like he's saying it's it's a waste to get up early and go to bed late. Maybe some of us would welcome that idea. But what he's really saying is anxious toil is a waste, is a waste of effort. Because in the end, it really is up to God and not up to you. So if you want to build a house, uh, make sure that God is with you in that effort. If you want to guard a city, make sure that God is also guarding the city. There's nothing wrong with those projects. Um, they, there are projects that need to be done, but they need to be done with God being involved. Because what makes all the difference, really, in the end, is whether God is with you or whether he is against you. Now, let's, let's go to 1 Kings 11 story of Jeroboam. We'll be kind of jumping from passage to passage here in 1 Kings. Jeroboam is, I don't know if he was a rags to riches story or not, but um, he he was the son of a widow, so he may have been poor to start with. He was uh, from the tribe of Ephraim, and he was a servant under Solomon. He was apparently an excellent worker because Solomon took notice of him and had him promoted to be king, not king, uh, the uh, chief over the labor force of the tribes of Joseph, it says. And I don't know how long he was in that role before this fellow shows up, meets him in the open country, alone, and is wearing a new cloak It's the prophet Ahijah and there's this odd encounter. 1 Kings 11, starting at verse 28. The man Jeroboam was very able. Maybe this was part of his problem. He was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. I hope he was wearing something else. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus the Lord the God of Israel says, Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. And God then, through Ahijah, gave Jeroboam what should have been some life-changing promises. I'll jump down to verse 37. He says, I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. You'll notice that Solomon could not stop Jeroboam. Uh, He couldn't stop God here, though he tried. Jeroboam should have remembered that. So uh, God gave Jeroboam this amazing promise And uh, kind of the brief version of it is this. If you walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes, I will be with you and will build you a sure house. It's a great promise. Beautiful. And God's word came true, of course. Uh, Rehoboam became king after Solomon. And you know the story that Israel was very weary of the heavy load that Solomon had put on them and came to Rehoboam asking for a break. You know, it'd be nice to lighten this load. Um, I don't know if included a tax break or, or what all was involved in that. They chose a spokesperson, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was their spokesperson, freshly back from his vacation in Egypt. Rehoboam had been listening to some bad advice, if you remember, and uh, he told the people he's going to be even tougher than Solomon. Solomon was tough. I'm even tougher. In fact, my my little finger, my little fingers are thicker than than Solomon's thighs. Well, the people promptly rebelled, and Rehoboam, whose little fingers were thicker than his father's thighs, had to jump into a chariot and take off for Jerusalem. Not a very tough showing. Uh, so the ten tribes of Israel rebelled against Rehoboam and chose Jeroboam to be their king. But Jeroboam is scared. Now if you flip to 1 Kings 12. <clears throat> Jeroboam turns out to be a, a thinker, I guess. Maybe he thinks a little bit too much. And he's been uh, considering the situation. Starting in verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now we probably should sympathize a little bit with with what Jeroboam is feeling here because the situation is probably an unstable one. You know, they've, they've, they've just revolted against their king Rehoboam. They can revolt against Jeroboam also. They don't like him. And if the people are constantly going to Jerusalem to worship, doesn't it make sense that there'd be some risk Rehoboam's going to constantly have this opportunity to engage with these people in some way or another and start winning them back, win back these tribes under his kingdom. And if that happens... Um, you know, Jeroboam, he, he kind of knows what the, what the odds are of his surviving another rebellion. He would be killed, probably, and he's already had to run for his life once. So we can, we can kind of sympathize with Jeroboam, and um, I can see why he was worried about the people going to his enemy's territory to worship. So at this point, although he is king, he's a nervous king. And he's not resting easy at night. You might say he's eating the bread of anxious toil. He could have found rest. He could have found rest in God. But in, in this stressful situation, he has kind of forgotten God's promise, which is, if you walk on my ways, I'll be with you and build a sure house. So we're a little sympathetic with Jeroboam. In fact, in, in some small degrees, we can probably identify with Him a little bit. Because we do, have, we do have wonderful promises going for us, and we struggle with stressful situations, and we're sometimes tempted to compromise those promises. For example, 2 Timothy 2 says, If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Those are pretty powerful promises. But the reality is we don't always, in stressful circumstances, we don't always make choices that line up with those words. Well, here's how Jeroboam responded to the trouble he was in, in verse 28. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, I don't know what it was with Israel and golden calves, but there seems to be a, an, an obsession here. They made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he said, one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. Did Jeroboam's fix work? Well, it seemed to. Uh, It seemed like many of the people of Israel quit going to Jerusalem to worship. Maybe most of them. They did not rebel against Jeroboam. So this, this seemed like it was working. It seemed like Jeroboam had thought ahead, figured out the solution, and solved the problem. But, of course, God was not happy And so one day, I don't know how, how much later this, this was. I don't know if it was a year. Be, I wish there was more of a timeline to go along with this. But one day, Jeroboam was offering sacrifices at the idol in Bethel, the golden calf in Bethel. And a man appears, a man sent from God. Uh, I don't know what his name was. Here's what he said. He said, "Those those priests over there that are performing this sacrifice on the altar, they their bodies are going to end up on that altar. They're going to be sacrificed on the altar. In fact, he was very specific and said that Josiah would be the one to do it. And I don't know if Josiah was even born yet. And furthermore, he said, as a sign, this altar is going to split, into, split or, or be broken, broken down, torn down. Its ashes are going to pour out and Jeroboam, who is standing there while he's making these announced proclamations, um, you know, the, the, the funny thing is the, the prophet said there'd be one sign. It turned out to be three signs there that day. So Jeroboam instructs the guards, sees him, and I don't know if they had time to spring into action or not, but suddenly Jeroboam's hand withers up. The Bible says it, uh, in, in the ESV, it says it dried up, actually. I don't know if it, you know, kind of turned into a piece of jerky, you know, it just withered up. I don't. He said he could not bring it into himself, so it, there was some complete collapse of strength in his in his hand. And um, and in the meantime, this altar breaks. However, it breaks apart, and the ashes come pouring out. Jeroboam is right now not so concerned about the altar; he's worried about his hand. And he begs the prophet to have mercy on him. And, uh, you know, I don't, rem- uh, I don't know how many of you have read Uncle Arthur's Bible story books growing up, but I remember this picture in, in the book of Jeroboam with the withered hand was, was one of the pictures that probably stood out to me most. I mean, it was just something about it horrified me as a child because he was just standing there and his hand is all just looking very strange. And... Uh, the prophet's there, and meanwhile, the altar's splitting apart, and it's, it's pretty, I'm sure it was a powerful scene. So Jeroboam begs the prophet for mercy, and God does have mercy, and his hand is restored. That makes a total of three signs uh, the, the altar split, his hand withered, his hand restored. And after all these signs, you would think that maybe Jeroboam would have a little change of heart, maybe? Uh, how could he not see that, that God was against him? And, you know, I don't know what went on in his heart. Maybe, maybe he considered changing direction. Maybe he even tried for a short period of time. I think he could have changed. I think he could have changed directions. Manasseh changed direction. Uh, and I believe God loved him and wanted him to. You know, he did restore his hand. Um, I think this whole incident showed God giving Jeroboam a second chance. <clears throat> but it, the reality is um, that it's, it's awfully hard to change your trajectory when you've been making a lot of compromises. When, you, when you've got a pattern of walking against, against God, it can be hard to bring yourself to the point of, this is wrong, I'm going in a different direction. Of course, God is part of that process in helping us change and helping us repent. Jeroboam does not change directions. 1 Kings 13.33 After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. God wasn't quite done with Jeroboam, and he sent, um, no, he did not send. Sometime later, Jeroboam's son becomes sick. So Jeroboam sent his wife to the prophet Hyjah. So Jeroboam apparently still you know, believes in what this prophet has to say. It's, kind of, it's a little odd that he's not believing what he already said. But anyway, he sent his, he, he sent his wife to the prophet Ahijah to ask about his son. Now, um, as so Jeroboam's wife comes, comes to this house where Ahijah is, and uh, she is in disguise She is in disguise, and not only is she in disguise, but also Ahijah is blind. He can't see anymore. But um, when Ahijah heard the sound of of her feet at the door, he says, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? Pretty impressive. I'm sure Isaac wishes he could have done that to Jacob. It must have uh, made quite an impression and Ahijah, who was the prophet who told Jeroboam back at the beginning, if you walk in my ways, I'll be with you and build your house. He very fittingly has some um, different words now. In 1 Kings 14, 9-13, Ahijah speaks God's word to Jeroboam. You have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it arise therefore go to your house when your feet enter the city the child shall die and all israel shall mourn for him and bury him for he only of of jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found something pleasing to the lord the god of israel and the house of jeroboam what god said would happen did happen of course And the reaping started. Jeroboam's child, who God was pleased with, by the way it says, he died. An innocent people died doesn't mean that that God was displeased or didn't love them. So Jeroboam's son died. Sometime after that, there was a battle between Judah and Israel. Jeroboam had an army of 800,000 men. Uh, The the king of Judah, who was Rehoboam's son, only had 400,000. So, uh, Jeroboam had the advantage in numbers, two to one. He had, the, he had a, a tactical advantage as well. He sprung an ambush on the, on the army of Judah, had them pinned from, from front and from behind. What did the men of Judah do? Well, turns out they had a secret weapon, I guess. They cried out to the Lord. Now, they're crying out to the man who who told Jeroboam, "If you walk in my ways, I will be with you and will build your build you a sure house." But in Second Chronicles thirteen fifteen, it says, "God defeated Jeroboam; he defeated him. Jeroboam's army was crushed. They lost five hundred thousand men. The Bible says he did not regain power, and the Lord struck him down and he died." Second Chronicles 13.20. Basha became king over Israel and had Jeroboam's entire family executed. 1 Kings 15.29. And that's pretty much the end of the story. I think it's safe to say that this is not the outcome Jeroboam had in mind when he set up those two golden calves. There's basically, I think, two, uh, there's probably a lot of little lessons we could learn along the way through that story. There's, there's basically two major lessons that I want us to take away from this. Uh, the one has to do with compromises, and it's that compromises can kill you, they can destroy you. Jeroboam made a huge compromise in an effort to save himself and his house. And for a while, it looked like it worked which is why cutting corners and making compromises and, in other words, sin, appeals to us because it does look like it's going to work for a while. And sometimes it does work for a short term. Uh, and, and so when we're scared and anxious and worried and feel like we need to do something to fix the, the problem we're in, we're tempted to compromise. There are a lot of compromises and shortcuts in life that you can make, that you can get away with, and in fact, are right to make. Last week, I spent most of my week, it felt like, running late and not getting to work on time, so I made some compromises in my morning routine and stopped shaving for a little while, and uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't turn out to be a a major problem. One man at, somebody at work commented and wondered if I was growing a beard. No, I just wasn't shaving. So it was, it was an okay kind of compromise to make. And I, I finished that. I'm done with that compromise, as you can see. But there are other compromises that, that you can't make and get away with. And, and any compromise um, in our walk with God is a mistake with consequences. Since all good and perfect gifts come from God, there is just applying Simple logic here, since all good and perfect gifts come from God, there's there's never a situation in which making a compromise in that relationship makes sense. And and this this is something I need to take to heart. I mean, me as much as anyone else, I need to take this to heart. God had told Jeroboam, if you walk in my ways, I will be with you and will build you a sure house. And he, and he tried. I think God tried to get Jeroboam to change his course. But Jeroboam couldn't bring himself to do it. And he lost everything. So that's, that's the one lesson is the lesson of, about compromise and the cost of compromise. The second lesson is, is just this, that God is the one, ultimately, who builds up and tears down. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, was not able to. And Jeroboam became king anyway. Herod tried to kill Jesus, was not able to. Saul tried to kill David, it didn't work. God's purposes are not going to be defeated. Gamaliel knew that. No one can keep God from fulfilling his promises to you. So uh, never compromise your walk with God because you're, you're afraid or stressed or anxious. Instead, you should find rest in, in the promise that he has given you. Find rest in his promises. He will fulfill them. In conclusion, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And Jesus, I believe, spoke essentially the same fundamental truth. He didn't quote Psalm 127, but he could have, in in Matthew 6, where he talks about not being anxious. Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't be anxious and, and don't compromise. More important than, than building the house or whatever the project is or, or getting out of the stressful situation that you may be in is making sure that you're doing things God's way. And as, as you do things God's way and walk with Him, Um, you should be able to find rest in, in his promises because he will fulfill them. God bless you.